Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men Podcast, a show inspiring men to be mindful about their lives. Each week, we'll dive into a range of topics that matter to men and hear from everyday people doing extraordinary things. So if you love the show, please give it a five-star rating and share it with your mates. Now, before we get into this week's episode, please note that some of the content may trigger you. And if this happens, please reach out to your support networks. It's really important. If you can't get enough of Mindful Men, head over to our website. It's www.mindful-men.com.au. Find the show notes and the links to our socials there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men Podcast. I'm your host Simon Rennie and today we're getting mindful about the loss of a child and the support that Red Nose can provide to families and particular dads who are in the bereavement process. And joining me for today's discussion, I've got Chris Wood from Brisbane, Queensland. How are you going, Chris? Yeah, good. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, share my story. I'm, I'm very grateful for it and yeah, to represent my family and yeah, other bereaved parents. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. We are going to be talking about a pretty heavy topic today. So if people are triggered by the loss of a child or a loved one more generally, um, feel free to skip this episode. That's more than okay. In the show notes, we will be putting some a hotline number for Red Nose Grief and Loss Support Line. If you are listening to this and you do need a bit of support from Red Nose Grief and Loss Support Line, that'd be really good to check that out. But also check in with your usual support networks. It's really important to do that after you maybe have consumed some content that may be triggering to you. So Chris, to introduce you, you are from Brizzy and I'm up from the sunny coast. So hello from up the Bruce Highway. To describe you, you you've written that you're a, a husband and a brief father to your son, Liam. And we are going to be talking about Liam today, who passed away at one day old due to complications in utero. Is Liam your only child? Yeah, he is. Yeah, we've had, we've had four pregnancies. Two ended in miscarriage. Liam was a neonatal death, and then we had to terminate a pregnancy at the start of this year at about uh, 10 weeks. Wow. So you've had quite a lot going on in your life and trying to, to get pregnant to, for starters, but also, you know, the birth process as well. So I can imagine this is going to get pretty heavy. I'm really looking forward to it and really thankful, though, right off the bat that you're coming on to share your story. So let's start with that. What is your story? And talk us through both Liam's life and also, you know, the lead up towards that because I understand maybe you had some difficulty getting pregnant. Yeah, mate. Yeah. So um, my wife and I got married in 2015. So we just hit uh, eight years a couple of days ago. Long story short, we didn't start trying straight away. We've had probably a five to six year fertility struggle we fell pregnant initially at about 11 months and uh, miscarried that pregnancy. And then a couple of years went on, no luck, a failed round of IVF, two failed rounds of IUI, which is the step before IVF for those people that don't know. And then, yeah, we fell, fell pregnant, our second round of IVF towards the end of 2021. Yeah, we fell pregnant with twins in that uh, that pregnancy and then miscarried one of the twins at about nine weeks again which was the start of 22 and then yeah had had Liam Liam was born at 30 weeks gestation in June last year and um, he had developed during the pregnancy had developed a lung condition called pulmonary hyperplasia so what that is basically is um, 
the lungs haven't developed as much as what they should and basically he was born and yeah his lungs his lungs were fucked and um put it bluntly and yeah he died at one day old wow that's huge to go through all those rounds you talked about ivf what's the other one you, you touched on something before ivf what's that treatment yeah it's iui i can't remember what it stands for but yeah basically they get the father's sperm when the the female is ovulating they inject the sperm and basically it sort of i don't know it's it's hard to it's hard to explain but um yeah, it's a step before IVF. Yeah, and how long does that process take? So the IVF, I know that process takes quite a while as well. So you're going through this for yeah. quite a period. Is it also a costly exercise to do as well? Yeah, it is. It is. It's not cheap. You know, I'm very good at uh, selective hearing and selective memory sort of issues. So I just, when it comes to the cost of things, I just, oh, fuck, I don't want to know about it. So um, put that beyond. But yeah, it's it's not cheap, mate. It was a, it was a long, very long process and... You know, seeing a fertility specialist and going through all the testing sort of processes, it's very draining for both my wife and I. Yeah. And so when the twins were conceived, I imagine you would have felt pretty over the moon when you got that <laughs> news and you, all of a sudden yeah, you're going to have but- twins. Like, oh, geez, what's <laughs> going to happen here? Oh, like, no joke. Like, when we went from like, you know, five years of fertility issues to pregnant with twins, and I was thinking, fuck, you know, typical, like, um, Things can never be straightforward, but it was an interesting feeling. At the time, I had a had a coffee shop as well, and so we basically started the process to try and sell that straight away because, um, like, I was working probably at least sixty hours a week minimum, and you know, having twins and doing that sort of workload is not feasible. Yeah, and I can imagine it would have come with a huge sense of relief to conceive twins. But then to have that world, you know, thrown upside down as well through the process, how did you cope through that? I didn't cope very well, just struggled really. But you make do with what you've got. And when we miscarried the first twin, we were still both very hopeful and, you know, optimistic and everything. But it definitely like awakens you to the reality that, you know, pregnancy is fucking hard for a lot of people. and there is so much, you know, trauma and everything around that. And, you know, I think when people have a smooth, smooth nine months and then the baby's born with no, no issues. Yeah. It's a very rare, very rare thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and how was your, your wife coping through all this as well? How, like, what was the difference of the things that you were noticing in, in her? She wasn't coping very well either. We, it was just very much a day by day type situation. All right, we'll wake up today. Oh, yeah, there's no issues. Oh, it's going to be a good day. But to be honest, it makes you more present of like what's around you and what, what you're going through and everything like that. Yeah, we, we didn't cope very well though. Yeah, and did you have like certain people that you could draw from to get a bit of support? Like were you talking to any medical practitioners, therapists, family? What was your support networks like? Yeah, family. Family was a massive support. Like my my mum and sister were very helpful for me. And then they're in a state. They're in New South Wales, and Beth's family are in New South Wales as well. She's got two sisters that live in Brisbane, pretty close to us, and they were very helpful for both of us. And yeah, so we definitely relied on family a lot and a couple of like close friends. But after the miscarriage, after the first twin. We miscarried that. Liam's pregnancy was still progressing 
fine and everything. So we're just really hopeful of that and just dealing with whatever came from that. Wow. And what about the medical practitioners as well? Like how are they supporting you through both the the loss of the first twin and then through to Liam's birth? We had a fertility specialist at the time and we were with seeing her. She was private. We were seeing her through the first trimester and then pretty much went into the public system and, you know, being a high-risk pregnancy, pretty much went into the hospital system at about, you know, 15 or 16 weeks, which is not uncommon, but we are having, like, Beth was having, like, weekly appointments and weekly scans and we had a lot of peace of mind there and then, yeah, we found out at the 20-week scan that there was no fluid and... Yeah, basically her her water had broke at um, 16 weeks. Wow. Yeah, so from the 20-week scan, things got a hell of a lot more complicated and a lot more doom and gloom. Then from there, we went into the hospital system like proper full-time. Yeah, and so were you staying in the hospital, were you, or...? Beth was in hospital from for the last six weeks of the pregnancy. She developed like signs of infection at about 24 weeks and basically we were told at at the 20 week scan that she could go into labor at any point in time so yeah from 24 weeks to to 30 weeks when he was born she was in hospital full-time yeah and did did she go into labor was it induced no she had a cord prolapse so what that means is that the cord has come out first and it's very very dangerous and it happened when she was in hospital and basically, you know, if she was not in hospital, like he would have been dead, like pretty much. It was 28 minutes from her cord prolapsing to him being born via emergency cesarean. You know, he was potentially without oxygen for that period. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that would have been one of the longest 28 minutes of your life. Yeah. I was at home actually and... um. I was watching the football, the 5.30 game. It was a Saturday night. I was watching the rugby league. Got a call from her from her phone. We were just talking. We were talking about 20 minutes earlier, and I thought it was quite strange that she was calling. And so I answered, and it was a um, midwife just saying, oh, you know, you need to get to the hospital ASAP. That's going in for an emergency cesarean. And, fuck, I was freaking. Just got straight in the car and got there in about 15 minutes to Royal Brisbane. And yeah, had to wait outside. Had to wait outside. You couldn't even go in for the birth. Yeah, like she had already gone in and, you know, they had started the procedure and everything, the cesarean. And, um, yeah, I just waited out in recovery. And how quickly could you get in and see both your partner and, and Liam? So I didn't see Liam until about – he was born at 7.33 and I saw him probably for the first time at about 8.45. He was very sick. They had to work on him four times in the first hour so what i mean by that is like bring him back you know give him cpr beth lost a lot of blood as well she lost almost double the amount that they would want in a an emergency caesar so she was quite sick as well and in a hell of a lot of pain saw her first i was at recovery when when she came back after the procedure and then yeah yeah what was going through your mind as you're waiting outside and then hearing what happened I was, you know, I was freaking out. You automatically think the worst. And I knew that Liam was very sick, but, you know, with the amount of blood that Beth had lost, she was very unwell as well. So, you know, I was automatically thinking the worst and I was just freaking out. I was, 
undescribable really like my son's potentially about to die and you know there's a chance that my wife might die as well yeah it's hard to explain you know it's it's really hard to explain i mean i'm a i'm a dad of two and Standing there in the delivery, both my first, my son was an emergency Caesar. My daughter was a planned Caesar. And I felt like the most helpless person in the room. I couldn't do anything. I didn't know what to say or feel or anything like that. I can imagine you not even being in the room, sitting in the waiting room would have just been traumatizing almost. Yeah, it was. I was just pacing up and down. And fuck, I remember it so, so vividly. And like, I was the only one there, like a midwife sort of came came out she was trying to sort of calm me down and everything I was just I was like you know I just want to be left alone type thing and a young guy came out it was like for me that his football team had won the grand final like he was so so excited and like I was just I really struggled to be around him and like be be near him and it and it turned out that his partner had been through you know horrific circumstances and they had just had a you know, emergency cesarean minutes before as well and unbeknownst to me, but, like, it was just he was over the moon and, like, literally my world was fucking crumbling, like, in front of me. I thought, fuck, what's this guy's fucking go? Like, I was so <laughs> I, I was so worked up about it. But, yeah, it's just, just one of those things that, you know, that you remember. So talk us through Liam's day one. How did you go through that? What happened and, and what's some of the fond things that you remember of him? He had massive hands and feet and he's got, uh, he had Beth's um, small ears and button nose. They're the type of things that I remembered, you know, straight off the bat. So he was born at 7.33 on Saturday, the 11th of June. The first doctor that I spoke to within that first hour told me, um, She's like, look, you know, it'll be a good result if he can survive through the night. He's very, very unwell and he's, his lungs aren't functioning basically and we're, we're doing everything that we can to keep him alive. But, you know, he's really struggling to, to breathe and to, to function. And then, yeah, he just slowly, slowly started to get a little bit better. And, you know, he was slowly starting to sort of like his, you know, his heart rate and his blood pressure and everything was starting to get better. We went to bed. We stayed with him until probably about four o'clock Sunday morning, you know, went and had a couple of hours sleep and then went back down downstairs to the NICU probably at about 7.30 on Sunday morning. It was a little bit better, but by no means was he out of out of the blue. And then he was sort of, he just, he wasn't responding. His lungs just weren't responding. They were too damaged to, um, they just weren't benefiting from, from all the meds and that, that he was being pumped with. And um, yeah, he started to go downhill at about two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And yeah, he died at uh, 5.30 Sunday night. Yeah. It was at that two o'clock period that you started to think, oh, something's not quite going right here or did you have that kind of gut feeling that something was going to happen well i kind of like you know i'm a i'm a simple cat and you know the doctors and the midwives were talking to us you know in medical sort of terms and you know i I wasn't really understanding a lot of it but my gauge of how he was going was determined on how many people were sort of in the room and how many people were around him you know when i first saw him on the Saturday night, there was probably at least, you know, 10 to 15 medical people like 
you know, going everywhere, like doing different things. And so over the next, you know, 24 hours, my gauge of how things were going was determined on how many medical people were, were around. And one of the midwives tried to explain to me, you know, the things that I've got to look out for on the monitor, you know, what they're hoping his blood pressure would get to and everything like that. So, you know, I was just watching their body language and everything. Yeah, I can imagine also not just for you you and your partner, but also for the medical staff having to deal with that type of thing would have been pretty full on as well. What were you noticing in, in their facial expressions and their emotions too? Just, you know, probably the frustration maybe that, you know, things weren't going to plan and things weren't going well. Yeah, that was probably the main thing. Like they were great. I had a bit of a run in with the, the main doctor the night before, but that was just purely both our emotions were just running hot. But other than that, the care that we received, you know, in the NICU was faultless. They were doing their best. Yeah. And so what happened next? Like, I'm going to be honest with you, like, I haven't lost a child. So, like, well, yeah, talk us through for those who are wondering, like, well, yeah, what happens next? Did you have some time with him to cuddle him and kiss him and all that type of stuff? Yeah, we did. We had as much time as we wanted after he died. He died in my arms at 5.30 on, on the Sunday and, you know, we spent time with him and we washed him on Sunday night and probably one of the hard, equal one of the hardest things that we've ever done was had to leave him there that night after he, you know, died. Days after we we stayed in the hospital until the Wednesday and, yeah, we came home and, you know, if any bereaved parent or, you know, bereaved parent of an infant or a baby the hardest thing is leaving the hospital without that child and yeah that was that was fucking that was hell and so what point red did red nose come into things i know they have been supporting you we saw a, a social worker in the in the hospital a couple of days after he had died and um red nose offer a hospital to home program you know they've got a a grief counselor that you know will come and see you at your house that you know helps you navigate that first you know those first few months you know, first three to six months after your loss, you know, because it's just, it's incredibly messy and just don't know what to do. The lady that saw, that came to our place, she had lost twins as well. So she knew the extent to what we were feeling and like the highs of, you know, being pregnant with twins and then the lows of losing both of them, are, you know, they're extreme. She was a great help. She was a great help for us. Yeah. And did you do that as a couple? Did you have some time for you? Because there is this concept in the medical world around maternal gatekeeping. And a lot of the focus is on the mum and the bub, which is, you know, rightly so, but not so much on the dads. And the dads can be left behind. So did you feel that you were getting the right support? I, I definitely got the got the right support from Red Nose. In other aspects, I was definitely I was definitely left behind. And it's one of the things that I'm really passionate about trying to bridge the gap is um the fact that fathers you know are very or the non non-birthing partner is very um not dismissed but they're just they're not a priority and like for me beth got maternity leave she had maternity leave so she went back to work you know part-time around sort of october-ish and just transitioned nicely like smoothly ish into back into the workforce from in the later half of last year. And for me, I was back at work doing six days a week after three weeks. And I, I fucking hated it. I hated being around people. I, you know, I was self employed, but yeah, I really struggled to be around people. And 
to have to fake how I was feeling and everything like that. And it took me six psychologists to get in to see one. And, you know, in my wife's situation, she, um, the first psychologist that she contacted, boom, appointments, Mm. you know, that's good for her. And that's good for the, that's good for the mother. But there's also another parent at home that's not getting anywhere near the same level of, you know, medical treatment as they should be. Yeah. So being back at work that quickly, I can imagine that would have impacted the people around you, like your customers and your other staff as well. Talk us through that. Yeah, it was difficult. For me, I'm a terrible liar, you know, so if I'm feeling blue, like it's pretty obvious and I just couldn't fake it. Well, I could, I could, but, you know, I just really didn't want to. I didn't want to be doing that. And, you know, if someone asked me, oh, you know, how are you? Yeah. I'm all right. Like, I'm all right. That was my answer. And, you know, I was far from all right. So I really struggled. I've, yeah, I struggled. Yeah. And you, you talked about going to see a psychologist and taking a bit of time to get into one and, and I guess find the right fit as well because often we, we get into a, a therapist and it's not the right fit. What kind of other supports were you looking for as well? I know you've got the, the Bereaved Dads Touch Footy team. Like, Can you talk us through a bit about that and what other supports are around? To be honest, uh, you know, apart from like Sansa, you know, connected to Red Nose as well, they've got monthly support groups for, for bereaved parents. And then we had Red Nose as well, like the um, hospital at home program. But yeah, other than that, I didn't really have a, have a lot and I was getting very frustrated. And probably towards the end of September, early October, I, I hit my rock bottom and, you know, for a brief period had suicidal thoughts and everything like that. Yeah, and just purely out of frustration, yeah, I started to think about ways that I could sort of just create what I thought I needed. I knew a couple of other bereaved dads just through my um, shop community and um, towards the end of last year, sort of early this year, I just put a couple of feelers out to see if there were any other guys that you know wanted to make a touch football team and we play on a Tuesday night at White Hill in uh, Camp Hill you know, in a men's comp, in a social comp. And yeah, it's it's just it's good for us to get together and, you know, talk a bit of shit and talk about all of life's struggles. And we go to the pub probably once a month and just, yeah, have a couple of beers and debrief. Yeah. Did you find it hard to recruit players for the, the team or was it pretty much everyone's like, yeah, get me in there? Yeah. Yeah. It was difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. And, you know, I guess just not everyone's interested in, in touch football and that's fine. Yeah, so it, it was a struggle. We've got nine guys in the team and, you know, with various things in life, sometimes it can be a struggle to get a, a couple of guys on the bench, but that's that's all right, you know. Reminds me of my old touch footy days. You're, scr- scr- you're scrambling for <laughs> numbers. <laughs> six on six. We played one game uh, four on four for the first half of a game and that was oh (laughs) that was difficult how good has the support been around the footy team though like are the discussions really frank and fearless are they really supportive yeah they are we all understand where where the other guys coming from the first time we all got together and i knew a couple of the guys separately so it was it was a bit easier for me but the first time we all met we went to a pub in holland park you know, so you've essentially got nine sort of strangers sitting around a table, but it was very natural and we all just sort of 
told our story and you know different ways that things have happened and it's been very beneficial for all of us i i think yeah definitely has been for me i can only speak for myself but it's definitely you know being around them has definitely helped me a lot i can imagine there'd be some diverse ways of coping that have been brought up in those conversations are you happy to share some of the different ways that guys have coped through the loss of a child exercise exercise has definitely been been a big one one guy you know and just different ways to honor their child one guy runs his daughter was stillborn early last year and he runs you know six k's every day to honor and remember the six you know babies that are stillborn each day in australia you know that's fucking nuts you know six babies are stillborn every day in our country and like that's fuck it shouldn't be happening but um that's one way that he honors his his child and copes yeah so exercise would probably be the main one yeah what's some of your go-tos we talked about the psychology but what's some things that you do to just look after yourself i really enjoy walking my dog and just putting whatever music i want to listen to on and just you know spending that time with her because you know you, you work all day and then come home and i'm knackered but for me that's really important time like just thinking time as well i do a bit of swimming too so again you know just just exercising is massive very underrated and like i know for me i know as well like i'll be further in into a shithole if you know when i stop exercising and when i when i'm drinking more and not eating very well so it's just all those little one percent type things that they they add up does it take you much to recognize that you are sinking into a hole and, and you may be not eating right and drinking too much not exercising yeah, I'm very conscious of, of what I'm doing. But to be honest, sometimes I just don't care. You know, I'm just like, fuck, whatever. And, you know, those holes can be hard to get out of. Yeah, but my wife's very supportive and she's very, very honest and very direct. Yeah. So that, that makes a, a massive difference. I can imagine like something like this, and you've had multiple losses in trying to get pregnant. Are you talking about getting pregnant again or, or have you drawn the line there? No, we haven't drawn the line. We haven't really made a decision. We kind of go through different stages and different phases. The pregnancy in January that we had to terminate was very damaging to Beth's body. So that meant that, you know, we couldn't try for, for 12 months. So that's just given us time to think and, you know, process everything. So, yeah, we're undecided what we're going to do, do in that regard. Yeah. So how do you do you remember Liam? Like what's Liam's legacy? You've got the Instagram page there. I'd love to hear a bit about, about this and what your plans are. Well, how do you remember him and, and what's your plans for the future? How my wife and I remember him. We go for a walk every Sunday at five thirty together. You know, if we're home then we'll take take Poppy, our dog. But you know, Christmas Day last year fell on a Sunday and five thirty we went we went for a walk and you know, it's just a it's a bit of a tradition that we've decided to keep keep going we scattered part of his ashes down at a little beach near kingscliff or in kingscliff so i go down there quite often to watch sunrise on weekend and we've got our own ways you know i've got i've got his name and footprint tattooed on my forearm and yeah but any opportunity that i get to talk about him you know i take with both hands because you know i feel feel like our children deserve it and they need it and 
they need to be fought for. Yeah, so for me, I want to, I just want to help bereaved parents as much as I can, whether that's being vulnerable and telling our story. I started a petition as well, asking the federal government for change in a couple of things. So that that helps me try and help help other people. And I feel like, you know, he's sort of, his life is not going to go go in vain, you know. Yeah, what's the petition? Talk us through that. So as it stands, the federal government makes a lump sum payment of $3,700 to parents of a stillborn baby, which is about four weeks at minimum wage. I'm asking them to scrap that and introduce an infant loss payment, which is from, you know, anywhere from second trimester loss through to the first 12 months of life. And yeah, I'm asking for a lump sum of $10,000, which is 12 weeks at minimum wage. You know, say, for example, in my situation, we didn't have the, the financial means for me to have time off. But, you know, I was back at work after after three weeks. And as I said, I fucking hated it. And I, and I really, really struggled. And 12 weeks would give that non-birthing partner an opportunity to grieve their loss privately because a lot of people don't have the financial means to take time off and you know especially in in like a lot of father type situations if they're the primary breadwinner they've got to go back to work very quickly after such a monumental loss and it's just I don't think that it's right yeah and often those dads are going back to work after a birth you know and nothing happens and they're missing out on all those you know little milestones in those early days as well and i can imagine so you're self-employed yeah i'm not i'm not anymore but at the time at this i sold my um sold my business at the start of the year um yeah i work in construction now but at the time you were you were if you didn't go to work you didn't get paid <laughs> you know yeah exactly exactly if the shop didn't open then then we weren't making money is the petition still open and people can sign up to that if they're keen? Yeah, they can. They can. I've got close to 500 signatures. And um, I was saying in another podcast, like that's not enough to get politicians' attention. But for people in our situation, you know, and for that 500 people that have signed it, they're, something that I've created has resonated with them and they've signed it for a reason. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fight for as long as I can to try and bridge the gap between non-lost parents and lost parents you know because it is fucking huge like there is a river between the two sides and people may not really know it and you know i get that people don't necessarily want to talk about the baby that died because it's too confronting or everything like that but it happens way more than what people know and realize and there's a whole portion of society that struggles through it and yeah, I just want to be that voice when I can, where and when I can to share our story and try and bridge that gap. Yeah, and I'm so thankful that you are. The whole idea of this the Mindful Men podcast is to help guys to be mindful about what's going on in life in various facets and tune into, you know, maybe be inspired by other people's stories and say maybe if they're struggling that they can open up about their stories too. So I'm really am thankful that you've come on the show and, and being as vulnerable and open as you are because that's the best way I think we can spread these awareness issues but also encourage other guys to step up and, and get help as well rather than go the opposite way. Suffer silently. One thing that I'm really passionate about is I feel that men have to be a lot better at supporting other men. Women have so many more circles, especially in our situation. You know, there's multiple podcasts for bereaved mothers, but there's, 
not a whole lot available for bereaved fathers and um yeah the whole you know she'll be right type approach is it's a thing of the past from my experiences she won't be right you know it's a fucking the more you try and put it to the side the more you're going to suffer yeah, absolutely. I'll grab the link for the petition off you as well. I want to put them in the show notes. Yeah, sure, We're going to put sure. in in the show notes a bit about Red Nose as well. Obviously, the Red Nose Grief and Loss Support Line will have the phone number in there. For anyone who's listening and can't get to the show notes, that's one 307 But outside of that, if you're triggered more generally, please reach out to your support networks, whoever they are. Chris, I've really valued your time this morning. Thank you so much for coming on. There's one last question that I have for all of my guests, and, and it's a chance to – we do talk about some heavy stuff, so lighten the mood if we can, as best as we can, and it's to plug something that you're tuning into at the moment that's making you feel good, whether it's something you're watching or listening to, reading, self-care activity, whatever it is. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Yeah, fuck, I love <laughs> Ted Lasso. For those that don't know, it's on um, Apple TV. Yeah, there's three seasons. Great show. We've watched it twice now, all the way through. Yeah, talk us through for anyone who hasn't watched it. What's the, a typical episode look like, or what's the story? Yeah, so it's it's about an EPL team, a, pre- a Premier League team in the UK, and they've got an American coach, and basically he was signed as like a a bit of a G up type thing. But yeah, it's just. It's really funny. There's so many good one-liners in it. You know, some really good characters as well. It's a real feel-good show as well. Awesome. And and who's your footy team? What's your footy team? Uh, South. Yeah, okay. I'm not from Queensland, so I'm an AFL supporter. Oh, so right. Okay. Does, yeah, yeah <laughs> rugby league diehard. And one of your episodes, Dane Weston, was probably my favorite episode. But, yeah, I joined the Redcliffe Dolphins this year. And I love an underdog. And, yeah, it was good to go to their home games and watch them and just have a have a local team to support we live on the north side so yeah it's just yeah but south sydney it's my team did you put uh, south sydney top on liam when he came out did you do that dad thing no no <laughs> he, he was too small he was too yeah he was too small we did buy a onesie actually yep. and still got it here but yeah i i usually just put my um put my jersey on my dog <laughs> <laughs> She, she doesn't like it, but <laughs> too bad. <laughs> Chris, thanks so much for coming on, mate. I really enjoyed our conversation and have a great weekend, mate. You too, buddy. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you loved what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.